This is the Daily Signal podcast for Friday, January 17th. I'm Rachel Del Judas. And I'm Kate Trinko. The Trump administration is taking steps to strengthen religious liberty. Our colleague Rob Bluey interviews Joe Grogan, director of the Domestic Policy Council at the White House. They'll talk about those steps and what they will mean for religious Americans. Don't forget, if you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to leave us a review or a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. Now, on to our top news. The Senate has opened its impeachment trial against President Donald Trump. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and her seven impeachment managers, all Democrats, walked the articles from the House to the Senate Thursday morning. Chief Supreme Court Justice John Roberts will preside over the trial. Roberts was sworn in by Senator Chuck Grassley, Republican of Iowa, via ABC News. Senators, I attend the Senate in conformity with your notice for the purpose of joining with you for the trial of the President of the United States. I am now prepared to take the oath. Will you place your left hand on the Bible and raise your right hand? Do you solemnly swear that in all things appertaining to the trial of the impeachment of Donald John Trump, President of the United States, now pending, you will do impartial justice according to the Constitution and the laws, so help you God. I do. God bless you. Thank you very much. Then Robert swore in all the senators in the Senate trial the senators service jurors via CNN. Do you solemnly swear that in all things appertaining to the trial of the impeachment of Donald John Trump, President of the United States, now pending, you will do impartial justice according to the Constitution and laws, so help you God. The Government Accountability Office released a report Thursday accusing the Trump administration of acting illegally in regards to holding back approved aid to Ukraine. Thomas Armstrong, the general counsel at the Government Accountability Office, said in a statement, Today, the Government Accountability Office issued a legal decision concluding that the Office of Management and Budget violated the law when it withheld approximately $214 million appropriated to the Defense Department for security assistance to Ukraine. The president has narrow, limited authority to withhold appropriations under the Impoundment Control Act of 1974. Rachel Semmel, a spokesperson for the Office of Management and Budget, said, We disagree with the Government Accountability Office's opinion. The Office of Management and Budget uses its apportionment authority to ensure taxpayer dollars are properly spent, consistent with the president's priorities and with the law. The Trump administration says it isn't concerned about allegations from Lev Parnes that maintains that Trump was privy to a plan for the Ukraine to start investigations into Trump's political enemies. During an interview with Rachel Maddow that aired Wednesday night, Parnes says that Trump's actions with him and Ukraine were deliberate. What do you think is the main inaccuracy or the main lie that's being told that you feel like you can correct? That the president didn't know what was going on. Uh, President Trump knew exactly what was going on. Uh, he was aware of all of my movements. Uh, he, I wouldn't do anything without the consent of Rudy Giuliani or the president. 
I have no intent, I have no reason to speak to any of these officials. I mean, they have no reason to speak to me. Why would President Zelensky's inner circle or Minister Avakov or all these people or President Poroshenko meet with me? Who am I? Mm -hmm. They were told to meet with me, and uh, that's the secret that they're trying to keep. I was on the ground doing their work. Parnas is a businessman who was born in Ukraine and who worked with Trump's lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, in Ukraine. Per CNN, Parnas gave thousands of pages of documents as well as pictures and text messages to the House impeachment officials, saying that Trump's actions in Ukraine were all about 2020. Per The Hill, Parnas turned over evidence to House investigators that detailed the pressure campaign against Ukraine. Here's what White House Press Secretary Stephanie Grisham said Thursday about Parnas on Fox and Friends. What is the White House's view on Lev Parnas? And did the president uh, talk to him often? Uh, and the president has said he did not know him. And I've got to say, you know, just to say Rudy told me these things doesn't mean that it has anything to do with the president. And it certainly doesn't mean that the president was directing him to do anything. You know, we stand by exactly what we've been saying. The president did nothing wrong. The phone calls, the transcripts say everything there is to it. This is a man who's under an indi- under indictment and who's actually out on bail. This is a man who owns a company called Fraud Inc. So I think that's <laughs> something that people should be thinking about. Um, you know, we're not too concerned about it. Once again, right. we know that everything in the Senate's going to be fair. It's it's unfortunate that he's now making a media tour out with a lot of the outlets that are, you know, against yeah. the president. I think that shows exactly what he's doing. House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy said Parnas isn't trustworthy. This is the same pattern I've seen before with Cohen with Avenatti. The media tries to build something into it, McCarthy said. This is the same man that said Devin Nunes was in Vienna when he was not. So he doesn't have any credibility. Ukraine is now looking into whether there was surveillance of former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Yovanovitch. Earlier this week, Democrats released texts sent to Lev Parnas that included a Republican, Robert Hyde, suggesting he was monitoring Yovanovitch. Now per CNN, Ukraine's interior ministry is getting involved. The ministry issued a statement saying Ukraine's position is not to interfere in the domestic affairs of the United States of America. However, the published records contain the fact of possible violation of the legislation of Ukraine and the Vienna Convention on Diplomatic Relations, which protects the rights of a diplomat in the territory of another country. And Ukraine cannot ignore such illegal activities on its territory. On Thursday, the Senate passed 89-10 to the long-awaited, updated USMCA that will strengthen trade relationships between the United States, Mexico, and Canada. Before the Senate vote, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said the legislation will strengthen farmers, growers, cattlemen, small and big businesses, and manufacturers. This is a major step for our whole country, McConnell said. Don't send House Speaker Nancy Pelosi a friend request on Facebook. Here's what she had to say about the company in her weekly press conference via CNN. The Facebook um, business model is strictly to make money. They don't care about the impact on children. They don't care about uh, truths. They don't care about where this is all coming from. And they have said, even if they know it's not true, they will print it. I think that they have been very abusive of, of the, the great opportunity that technology has given them. My, my thought about them is they don't want, they, all they want are their tax cuts and no antitrust action against them. 
and they schmooze this administration in that regard because so far that's what they have received. But I, I think that uh, what they have said very blatantly, very clearly, that they intend to be accomplices for misleading the American people with money from God knows where. They didn't even check on the money from Russia in the last election. They never even thought they should. So they have been very irresponsible. In a recent memo that was linked to the New York Times, Facebook executive Andrew Bosworth directly addressed the left's attack that Facebook contributed to Trump's 2016 win. He wrote, So was Facebook responsible for Donald Trump getting elected? I think the answer is yes, but not for the reasons anyone thinks. He didn't get elected because of Russia or misinformation or Cambridge Analytica. He got elected because he ran the single best digital ad campaign I've ever seen from any advertiser, period. Republican Senator Martha McSally of Arizona called a reporter from CNN a liberal hack when declining to answer his question about the Senate's impeachment trial. Here's their exchange. Senator McSally, should the Senate consider new evidence as part of the impeachment trial? Man, you're a liberal hack. I'm not talking to you. You're not going to comment, Senator, you're a liberal about this? Hack. Next up, we'll have Rob's interview with the head of the Domestic Policy Council at the White House. Tired of high taxes, fewer health care choices, and bigger government? Become a part of the Heritage Foundation. We're fighting the rising tide of homegrown socialism while developing conservative solutions that make families more free and more prosperous. Find out more at Heritage.org. The Daily Signal is on location at the White House today, just moments after President Trump's Religious Freedom Day announcements. We're joined by Joe Grogan, director of the Domestic Policy Council at the White House. Joe, thanks for talking to The Daily Signal. Thanks for having me. We had some big developments happening in Washington this week. Uh, President Trump signed phase one of the trade deal with China, and the U.S. Congress just passed today the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement, which is headed to the president's desk now for his signature. But let's begin with the Religious Freedom Day announcements, uh, an issue that you've been working on. Uh, There are three of them, and let's take them one at a time. And we can start with uh, prayer in school. Sure. So the I actually just left a meeting in the Oval Office. He had a bunch of students and teachers and a coach in there, all of whom had been discriminated against in public schools for expressing expressing their faith. The coach had been fired. The, some of the students had been told or a group of students that were told they couldn't pray in the cafeteria for a, um, a brother of one of the students who had been an attractor in uh, accident and had been they'd been told you have to take this behind a curtain or go outside out of sight we can't have anybody expressing their faith in public and what we're doing is we're updating a guidance that was supposed to be updated every 2 years by law and hadn't been updated since 2003 and making it explicit that students have first amendment rights including religious freedoms they have the right to express their religious beliefs openly publicly and if they are discriminated against or they perceive they are, the education 
officials in every state need to set up a procedure for them to be able to complain, and those complaints need to be adjudicated in some way, and the education officials need to inform the Department of Education how they adjudicate these claims and what they're doing to make sure that religious beliefs are protected. Um, there's a lot of hostility to religious beliefs. There's a perception that people who express their religious beliefs uh, somehow may be offending others who don't have those beliefs, but uh, it's uh, clearly discriminatory. Uh, these views are protected by the First Amendment, and people who are offended by public expressions of faith uh, need to get over it. And these students and teachers need to be able to, on their own time, uh, say that they believe in God, whether they be Jewish or uh, Christian or uh, Muslim or whatever faith that they uh, ascribe to. You know, those personal stories uh, have such an impact. We tend to cover a lot of them at the Daily Signal, and they uh, they are often some of our most popular stories, I think, because they don't get the attention that they deserve in other media outlets. So appreciate you sharing that with our with our listeners. You know, the, uh, the second on the list is uh, nine proposed rules that the Trump administration uh, is rolling out to protect religious organizations from unfair and unequal treatment by the federal government. Uh, can you uh, tell us what these rules entail? Yes. Yeah, so this uh, overturns an Obama-era regulation, which really discriminated against faith-based organizations and um, treated them as second-class grantees when receiving federal funds. And basically what it said is anytime somebody goes to a faith-based organization for a service, they need to be presumed to be potentially offended by the religious nature of that organization. The religious organization needs to inform them that if they are offended by the religious nature of the organization, they can they will find a secular organization for them to get the same service. Uh, there's no presumption on the part of a secular organization that somebody going there for services may be offended by the secular nature or, or whatever reason that institution was was set up. It's it's patronizing clearly to citizens first and foremost that people should be presumed to be offended by uh, people of faith. Uh, we all interact with people of different faiths on a daily basis, and we're we're not offended by by it um, as responsible human beings. So why would the government would presume this is is outrageous, and why we would have this additional burden on religious organizations or people who are called to particular work to help people for uh, you know out of spiritual belief is uh, is beyond me. But we it's many of these things are games of inches. You know, this took a lot of work actually to get nine agencies to work collaboratively to get this done. We're we're proud to have gotten it done though. It certainly is. Uh, you know, the third uh, announcement that was made involved the Supreme Court's Trinity Lutheran case, a 2017 decision, and uh, and the Office of Management and Budget has issued some new guidance regarding grant making. Tell us uh, about this change. Yeah, so the Office of Management and Budget is sending out a memo to all uh, federal agencies who give money to states and to remind them that it's up to these agencies to make sure that the states, when they distribute the money, don't discriminate against religious organization organizations. This directly comes out of the Trinity Lutheran Supreme Court decision where Trinity Lutheran applied for a uh, grant to improve the playground. There was a program to make playgrounds safer, and um, uh, they were denied the funds. This wasn't for religious purposes. It was to make kids safer, and yet there, the state decided no because they were a religious organization. They couldn't get it. The Supreme Court said, look, that's not right. This is a secular purpose, and they should be able to 
uh, get access to the fund, same as any other organization. So we're making that explicit in, from the Office of Management and Budget and putting the agencies on, on uh, notice that they need to police the states. There are 37 states, actually, that have Blaine amendments on their books uh, in one form or another, which came out of anti-Catholic bias, which is clear from the historical and the legal record, and we need to make it clear that those uh, amendments or other regulations or statutes that may be on the book can't be enforced against religious organizations. You know, we're talking about these because it is Religious Freedom Day, but this is a president who's made religious freedom a priority throughout his, his time in office and throughout his administration. What has it been like working with him on these issues? It's it's fantastic. I mean, you you don't have to go in there and argue about the merits of pursuing uh, religious freedom initiatives. You don't have to say uh, it's important that we allow religious institutions back into the public square, people of faith, to pray openly. He does ask questions. He wants to make sure we're doing it in the right way. He wants to make sure we've thought things through. But this isn't a president who um, needs a lot of convincing on these issues. He's uh, he's fired up to do it and uh, thinks that um, you know religious institutions have a central role to play in America's uh, civic life and and uh, and in the private lives of Americans too. So he's he's totally aligned. There's a whole group of people here across the White House and in the agencies. Uh, many people who are veterans of various uh, fights for religious freedom who have been drawn to this administration to work on these issues. And to be frank, they're they're having a blast in this in this administration to work on issues like this. Thanks for sharing that. Now, shifting gears, uh, let's talk about trade. Uh, this week, the president signed the phase one trade deal with China, obviously a, a long initiative that uh, this president has talked about uh, even prior to his, his election campaign in 2016. I know China is an issue he's focused on a great deal. Uh, tell our listeners uh, what they need to know about uh, phase one and uh, where we go from here. Yeah, I think what you're seeing in the last few weeks is really the president, um, you know, the Everything's firing on all cylinders for this president, and the entire arc of his first term is being set from, uh, you know, going back to the first major legislative achievement, which would be tax reform, and now going where we had the omnibus spending deal right before the end of the year, where we had a number of significant policy wins, removing three Obamacare taxes in addition to when he had removed the individual mandate. And now we've got the China trade deal and the USMCA passing this morning. Making tra- uh, trade more fair for the United States, having a president who fights for American industries and American workers has been central to his belief system, his messaging since long before he ran for president. I remember growing up in upstate New York, hearing him talk about this and and uh, attacking the way NAFTA was constructed, attacking the way that we had let China come into the World Trade Organization, uh, um, and he really has achieved a tremendous win uh, with the China trade deal. As a matter of fact, it, it's very interesting to watch a number of the president's critics over the last few weeks belittle what would be when th- this trade deal was announced to be signed. But when you see the details of it, I think that they're uh, you know, the tone has changed. I know some people just can't get off their horse, but you see intellectual property protections. You see opening up of financial sectors, huge commitments to buy agricultural products, manufactured goods. Um, you know, it is a huge achievement. And frankly, the, um, the work of the staff that went into it has been extraordinary. The number of meetings that the president has on this issue, he has been so focused on it. He's 
inexhaustible. If it was the only issue that he had worked on for the first three years, it would still be an extraordinary achievement. If it was the only trade deal, but of course, we've got USMCA done. And I think at the heart of it, you, you see a president who's saying, look, this is not a fait accompli that we're going to lose American jobs, that we're going to lose American industry, and that American workers are going to be um, resigned from uh, to do to do work that they that they would rather um, that they would rather not do, and some of the contempt of the uh, intellectual class over the couple, last couple decades, where people who are involved in manufacturing just need to learn how to code or get used to the service economy. Uh, it's nice to see a president saying, "No, we can still manufacture in the United States, and if we have a president and uh, people around him willing to fight for American workers, we can win." And you see us winning. You mentioned the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. Final question for you here. That uh, president has talked about how that's going to really uh, impact in a positive way uh, American businesses and families, particularly in the heartland of this country. Uh, what does it mean for them, for those people who might not know the intricate details of the agreement but, but want to know how it might change their lives? Well, I think first and foremost, there have been a lot of scaremongering around the fact that uh, the president wanted to pull out of, uh, out of NAFTA. But uh, if you look at the number of the numbers about uh, the impact upon um, our agricultural sector, but also manufacturing post NAFTA passing, it, in many, uh, according to many metrics, it's not really a pretty picture. What the president sought to do is to protect uh, American industries, protect American workers, and put them at the at the forefront of the uh, of our trade agreement. And he has achieved that with the USMCA. It's a total reset of our of our trade rules. And uh, there'll be more to come on that front. Though you know, the other thing to remember too is he signed a trade deal with Japan recently, which which people forget, and that is a huge deal as well with big commitments for purchases purchases from American. Uh, American companies produced in the United States. So uh, across the board, we're alleviating uncertainty here heading into the uh, final year of his first term. And uh, the economy is is roaring. We've got record unemployment, uh, a record number of Americans uh, at work now. We've never had so many Americans working right now. Record unemployment among African-Americans, Hispanic-Americans, women em- uh, employment, Asian-American unemployment's at a record low. So uh, everything is setting up beautifully. The president has gotten attacked for so many of these policies that he was pursuing. Remember when he was running for president, they said if he was going to win, so many of the critics on the left and these uh, uh, brilliant economists said the economy is in the tank, and today the um, Dow Jones Industrial Average is over twenty nine thousand. I think twenty nine thousand two hundred. The last I checked. So um, it, it's a tremendous day for the pr- president, and it's a, it's a uh, great fun to be here right now. Joe Grogan, director of the Domestic Policy Council at the White House. Thanks so much for talking to the Daily Signal. Thank you. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to the Daily Signal podcast brought to you from the Robert H. Bruce radio studio at the Heritage Foundation. If you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play or Spotify. And please leave us a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts to give us any feedback. Rob and Rachel, we'll see you Monday. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Kate Trinko and Daniel Davis. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, the Leah Rampersad, and Mark Guiney. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.